Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says this, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had, they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. And it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. When we think about Christmas, usually what we picture when we're talking about Jesus being born is a picture of the manger scene or what we call the, the nativity scene. You see it on Christmas cards and maybe on Christmas ornaments, maybe set up in a neighbor's front lawn or up in front of a church somewhere. And it's typically pretty much the same thing. You've got Jesus lying in the manger, kind of in the center of it all, Mary on one side, Joseph on the other, and then kind of arranged in a semicircle out around them, all evenly distributed are barnyard animals and some shepherds, and maybe the wise men have arrived on, on the scene and they're there 
there. There's a star of Bethlehem over top of them. And everyone's kind of adoringly looking at the baby in the manger. There's beams of light kind of perfectly entering the scene. And it's this beautiful, picturesque, uh, amazing scene that we see. And there's nothing wrong with a nativity scene. But sometimes when that's the way that we picture it, and that's kind of how we imagine everything unfolding, we fail to realize that Jesus wasn't born into some ideal scenario, some picture-perfect situation. Really, he was born into an absolute mess. The, the Gospel of Luke tells us a little bit more about the actual situation that he was born into when Mary delivered him. It wasn't in a hospital room. It wasn't at home. It, it wasn't even in a hotel. It was out among the animals in, in a stable where there's hay and straw and feed and stink and manure. That's where he was born. And when he was born, he wasn't laid in, in a crib or a bassinet, but he was, he was laid in a filthy feeding trough used by animals so that the actual scenario that he was birthed in was was a mess. And in the 18 verses that we just read from the gospel of of Matthew, there's lying, deception, jealousy, selfishness, anger, selfish ambition. There's a plot to have baby Jesus executed. Herod issues a decree to have children brutally murdered, every boy in that region, two years old and under. So you've got mothers and fathers that are brokenhearted because their child was just killed with no explanation. Confusion about what in the world is happening as soldiers are going from door to door just killing baby boys. Mary and Joseph are literally running for their lives, leaving their country and having to go to a foreign land just to keep themselves alive. That's the scenario that Jesus Jesus was born into. Not some picture-perfect scenario. It, it, was, it was a mess. And the reason that it was a mess is the reason that he was born, because of the problem of sin. That, that filthy manger scene is like a, a picture of the state of humanity. It was a mess. That, that manger scene really is a picture of what our lives are like and our need for Jesus to step into those situations, that it, that it was a mess. Jesus didn't come just to pay a visit, just to hang out for a while, just to come check out planet Earth. Jesus came on a mission. He came with, with a purpose. He came to destroy the power of sin, to deal with the mess that sin had created. My, my kids have a children's Bible. I love the way that it states it. It says that Jesus came to make sad things come untrue. Jesus came to remove the curse of sin. You, know, you, can, you can get a picture for the extent of what sin has done in humanity just by thinking about the world today and comparing it as best we can to what it was like in the Garden of Eden. Before sin, where there was no anger, there was no lying. You have a man and a woman living together in, in, in perfect love, in peace. There's no sickness, no disease, no turmoil, no poverty, no lack, no violence. They're walking in perfect fellowship with the Lord, literally walking in friendship, in friendship with, with God. Enjoying love and peace and joy, enjoying the presence of God. And then they decided to disobey and sin entered and sin, sin changed everything. It corrupted, it corroded, it spread through all mankind. And that's why Jesus came to deal with the mess that sin had created. 
In Luke chapter two, the night Jesus was born, it says this. It says that now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That night when Jesus was born, the angels show up to make the announcement to the shepherds who are, are out in the field. They say, we, we've got cause for great joy that will be for all people, not just them, for you and for me. This good news was available to all of us. And the good news is that Jesus was born, a savior was born, but it's not just that he was born. It tells us why he was born. It says he was born unto, unto you, unto who? Unto all of us, unto everyone that this good news is, is available to. For every person that's been affected by the curse of sin, for every person that's felt the pain of regret, the sting of betrayal, the, the, the hurt of anger or selfishness or pride, Jesus came for all of us who have been affected by sin. Just like the song, the song we just sang, that he came to make his blessings flow. Where? as far as the curse is found. Wherever his sin has hurt, damaged, robbed, that's where he wants his blessing to flow. And it's impossible for sin to damage beyond where his blessing has the ability to reach and repair and bring healing and hope. That, that's why he came to destroy, to destroy everything that sin came to accomplish in our lives. Hebrews chapter two, starting in verse 14, it says, inasmuch then, as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. It's talking about the Christmas story, that he took on flesh and blood. It's talking about when Jesus was born. And then it tells us why. That through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. The Bible says that there is a real devil. There is a, a, someone who is the enemy of your soul, and he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And the Christmas story is about God loving you so much that he sent his son Jesus to destroy the one whose purpose is to destroy you. And that's why we get to celebrate the goodness of God, and not, not just a cute story, but Jesus came into the mess of our lives to put an end to what the enemy had purposed for you and for your family and for your destiny. And he continues. Verse Verse 15 says, and in addition to that, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. To release those who were in bondage. Where people are bound by sin, bound by addiction, bound, held captive in slavery to whatever sin has been able to build, whatever stronghold it's been able to erect in your life. He came to release you, to set you free from that to restore us, to set us free, to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. You know, when you read through the Bible in the Old Testament, the entire Old Testament really is pointing to the Christmas story. It's pointing to Jesus. There's prophecies about Jesus as you read through the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled over 350 prophecies. So the Old Testament has a lot to say about Jesus. And one of the things that it says about Jesus is found in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. It says this, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, 
The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's talking about Jesus and it says, a child will be born unto us. That's the same kind of language that the angels used when they talk about Jesus arriving unto you. It means on your behalf, for your benefit. And then it begins to list some names or titles, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, everlasting father. And these, these titles aren't just aren't just names that he's to be called or titles that he could put on his business card. That's not the way that the word called is being used. When Jesus introduced himself, he didn't say, hey, my name is Jesus, but my friends, you know, you can call me wonderful counselor. You know, those who are closest to me know me as everlasting father. That's not the way it was using the word called. The word called there actually is when when someone feels a sense of calling, when they're discovering their purpose and they realize I'm I'm called to work with, I'm I'm, I'm called to spend my life doing, it's a sense of purpose. When it says that Jesus will be called these things, it's talking about his assignment, his mission, or the commission that he would be given. So those titles are really roles that he was called to fill for who? For us, unto us, a child is born and he's gonna be called to fill all of these roles. Wonderful counselor. That means when people lack wisdom and understanding, when they're confused about how to, to manage life, how to navigate through situations. I don't, know, I don't know what to do with this problem in my household. What's going on with my spouse? I'm not sure what the next step is in raising my children. I don't know how to use my life. I'm not sure where to go from here. When people are in the dark and they lack light, he is to them a wonderful counselor that they can come and find wisdom that they lack. When they lack strength, when they lack ability, when they lack power, when they're in over their heads, when they know I'm just so inadequate for whatever task I'm up against. It says that he has a calling on his life, a commissioning in your life to be a mighty God, that God's power and strength would be available to you and in your situation. Jesus is called to be that in your life. He's everlasting father. In the Bible, a father is a picture of someone that you belong to, where there's unconditional love and acceptance, someone that could build you up. Those things are in short supply in our culture today. People do crazy things trying to fill the void of wanting to belong, of wanting to feel love. But instead of chasing that and dealing with all kinds of nonsense, Jesus was commissioned. He was called unto you that you could have a sense of belonging, a sense of love to know that God loves you everlasting. It'll never stop. It'll never give up forever and ever. He will continue to love you. And Prince of Peace, where, where there's strife and turmoil, relationships falling apart, wherever there's a lack of peace, it's it's the curse of sin. It's, it's, It's the curse of sin affecting people's lives. And Jesus was called to be a prince, a ruler, an administrator of peace in, in our lives. Jesus is a solution for wherever you need a solution. And he's born unto you, unto me, for, for, for you. He was born for me to solve all of those problems. Unto you, a savior is born. A, a savior comes because people need saving. Jesus wasn't born 2,000 years ago because he was impressed with people. He didn't come because people deserved him. He came because people needed him. You know, when you read in Luke chapter two, and it tells us that he was laid in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. You can understand from that that it's talking about two different places. 
that they were separated. That at this hotel, this inn, this business that housed people temporarily, there was a separate place for where the animals would go. Because they, people didn't want to smell the animals, hear the animals, all, all that goes along with that. There's things that people didn't want to be bothered with. They didn't want to have to see it, so they separated it off, put it someplace else, almost pretend like it doesn't exist so you can have a nice, upstanding inn for people to come and enjoy themselves. It looks nice, it smells nice, and all that yucky stuff, all the stuff that people don't want to see, you put it somewhere else. It's sectioned off. And sometimes we do the same things in our lives that we section off the things that we don't want anyone to know about, we don't want people to see, that we're embarrassed of, the mistakes that we've made, our inadequacies, decisions that we've made, things that we've done that we're embarrassed of, that I don't want people to know how weak I am in this area. I don't want anyone to know about what foolish choices I've made in my past. I don't want people to know just how depraved I am when it comes to this, this area. I don't want people to see how bad I struggle. And sometimes we think that we've got to present ourselves to God with everything sectioned off and hidden away, the mess of our lives crammed into a closet. But Jesus isn't turned off by those things. That's not something Jesus avoids. That's actually where he makes his entrance into our lives. And it's a mistake when we think that we've got to present ourselves differently to God. Because at that end, it says there was no room for him. It's this idea of where they, they acted like there was no mess, where they acted like there, there was no stink. When you feel like you've got to act like you've got it all together, that you've got no weakness, man, you know exactly what you're doing. When we, when we live our lives like that, we're like that in, and there's no room for Jesus because Jesus doesn't come just like 2,000 years ago. He doesn't come into your life because you deserve him. He doesn't come into your life because you impress him. He comes to you because you need him. And when you shove away that need and pretend like it doesn't exist, you've also shoved away the entrance into your life. He comes to make his blessings flow. Wherever the curse is found, whatever's fallen apart, whatever isn't in line with his will, it's not something to ignore. It's an entrance for Jesus. He wants to make his blessing flow in your life this morning. Now, I, I want to pray with you. So I'm going to ask you to, to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to pray for everyone this morning, but specifically anyone here today that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus that you've never asked him to be savior of your life, the benefits of what Jesus came to accomplish, to destroy the power of sin, that you've never known him as your wonderful counselor. You've never got to enjoy him as a mighty God using his power on your behalf. You've never known him as everlasting father. You've never tasted what it is to have a relationship with the Prince of Peace. I wanna give you that opportunity right now. Or maybe you're here this morning and at one point in time you accepted Jesus, you had a relationship with him, but something happened. Somewhere along the line, you got off course, tangled up in sin, just distracted with the cares of life. For whatever reason, you're here this morning and you know you're not in right relationship with Jesus. If you fall into either one of those categories, I just want to pray with you so you leave here today knowing that you are in right standing with God, forgiven and clean, free, don't allow the enemy to point out flaws, the mess of your life, and convince you that God wants nothing to do with that area. That area is why he came. He's well aware of it. 
So instead of hiding it, instead of pretending, instead of putting up a facade, welcome Jesus into, into your life this morning. So if you fall into either one of those categories, you need to accept Jesus as Savior, or you need to recommit your life to serving Jesus with nobody looking around. Would you put your hand up nice and high? I'm just going to pray with you right where, where you are in your seat. You can put your hand up nice and high. You need to accept Jesus as Savior, or you need to recommit your life to serving Jesus. see any hands. I want to pray for you, but I also want to, to make a request that you find someone who doesn't know Jesus and you get them back here tonight. You find someone who doesn't know Jesus and you bring them back here tomorrow night. Father, I thank you for each person here this morning. I thank you for your love. I thank you that we get to celebrate how much you love us. I thank you that the enemy and his power has been destroyed in our lives. Father, for each person, wherever the curse of sin is trying to harm, damage, let them know the freedom, the strength, the counsel, the peace, the love that Jesus was commissioned to have manifest in our lives. I speak blessing over each person. Father, this Christmas season, we would see more clearly than ever before fresh revelation, fresh understanding, fresh light in our hearts and minds about the depth, the width, the strength of your love for each one of us. Father, it would live in us. It would live through us. I speak blessing on each person this morning. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.